Hey guys, it's Melissa here from MelissaOatman.com. Welcome to Awaken Your Inner Awesomeness, a daily podcast devoted to spirituality and self-help. If you're new, I want to welcome you. If you're returning, welcome back. So today I am super honored to have again as a guest with us, Miss Carrie Hummingbird. And I'm excited because first of all, she is back fresh off of a retreat she did in Peru. And I was following along on Facebook and envious of all of her beautiful photos and her experiences. And she's also just written another book, which I am really, really excited to hear about. The book that she has written is called Love is Fierce, Healing the Mother Wound. And I can't wait to dive more into this topic because I think that there are so many people who can relate to this right now. So thank you for coming back on, Carrie. Oh, yeah. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me on the show again. And yeah, thanks for following along and sending good energy for Peru. I feel like there are so many people sending such positive blessings that we we had an incredible journey. It was amazing to be in the country, like the first group in. I think we were the first group from the United States to be in the country in the Sacred Valley. Wow. I saw that you, you had posted on Facebook that normally that area would have been jam-packed with tourists and people walking around and there was nobody around. You guys kind of had that sacred space to yourself. So that had to be pretty amazing. Yeah, that was Machu Picchu. We got to go into Machu Picchu, which we, um, they were only accepting nationals that day, but thanks to our host, uh, Daniel Gutierrez, he has uh, good connections with the government and the tourist uh, connections. Um, he got us in the park because they were gonna open it like two more days later. So we were the first uh, US citizens um, tourists back in the park, you know, since they reopened it, they only just reopened it. So it was amazing to be at Machu Picchu um, when the park and the land had had a chance to regather itself, like to replenish itself, because normally there's thousands and thousands of volunteer uh, of uh, visitors to that park every single day, because it's one of the six wonders of the world. So to have to be in there when it had had a chance to breathe for a moment, <laughs> you know, without the deluge of humankind um, was pretty amazing. I don't think most people really think about that, that the impact that humans have on a place, visiting so much and being there and being the tourists. And so I think it's interesting that you say that you got to be there after it had a chance to sort of breathe and that's cool. And it looked like an amazing trip. So yeah, it was incredible. Glad you got to take that. Yeah. It's, you know, it's like we, we realized in COVID <clears throat> that the rivers were cleaning up and the skies were cleaning up because humans finally like sat down and got quiet and went in their houses and just stopped traveling every single place like busy bees and just kind of got quiet and then the earth could replenish herself she could recover I mean I, I there were reports of, of rivers like the river Ganges in India just clearing up because there wasn't all that pollution happening generated by humans so that is really part of the message of the book too, you know, is getting into harmony, getting into harmony and realizing the impact that we have as, as humans. Yeah, I don't think most people even take that into consideration. I, I read an article too, where like smog in certain areas was clearing up and you could actually see the skyline. I think it was LA. Yeah. I know LA is really bad. Like you can't see the buildings from a distance if you were to go to LA in a normal day. So the fact that they were able to see the skyline, I mean, that just shows you the impact that humans have been having on the earth without any kind of consequence about it. So interesting. So tell us more about your book. Yeah, so, well, it's love is fierce because that's what you realize as you start walking the path. You know, I think a lot of times we think, oh, love is being soft and love is being gentle and love is, you know, love is being like a soft petal on a flower. And, and it is, but love is also fierce. And when you become a mother, you realize how fierce love is. Because oftentimes as a mother, will want to be soft and gentle and loving and sweet and, and all of this, but then we'll have that moment of recognition that that's not what our child needs right now. Like our child needs a boundary or our child needs a tough lesson. And we, and as the mother, we're like the administrator of that lesson. And that's the fierceness of love. It's like, I'll show you who you are or who, who you're being right now, because I love you because I need to show you this thing. 
So getting the courage to do that, to follow your inner guidance system and to follow your wisdom, that's really the work of the book and, and how it brings us to understand that mother's wisdom is something that comes, it's not learned in a book. You know, it's not like you pick up the thousand page manual on how to be a good mother and then, then you just follow that. I used to ask like when, before I had my kids, cause I know you have your kids. When I, before I had my kids, I was like, how, how do I, where's the book on parenting? Like how, where's the manual for this thing? Cause I don't know how to do this. And I know now there is no real manual on it because it's, everybody has to go through their own journey with it. There is no manual. Yeah. I talk about that in my own book too, how, you know, you go to buy a new car and they hand you the, the user instruction manual and it's a million pages, but you go home from the hospital and they're just like, good luck, you know, yeah. <laughs> basic instructions, but yeah. nothing really much like, what? <laughs> We know what you're about to go through and some, basically, we all know now that you've been through it, you know what other people are going going to go through. Essentially, the big picture, they're going to go through a lot of life lessons (laughs) and they're going to hurt. Those Mm -hmm. life lessons are going to be joyful and they're also going to be painful. And so it's both. And so, you know, as we approach this topic, I mean, the reason I started writing the book was because of my own journey with my own mother. You know, my own journey of healing and accepting um, my relationship with my own, my own mother. That was my pathway in. And, you know, I, I published my book last year, which you interviewed me about the second wave book. And uh, I was all excited to work with White Eagle because I love the masculine energy. I'm like, yeah, White Eagle all the way. Like, let's go. And I was like ready to go on book tours and just really celebrate that book. And it's still on the best uh, bestseller charts, like 70 weeks now. But then I got the tap and I was like, who's tapping me? And I felt, and it was like white Buffalo calf woman. And I said, what do you want? (laughs) What are you talking about? And it was like, well, you're going to write a new book for me. And I was like, oh, well, what's the book? Oh, love is fierce, healing the mother wound. And I, oh, I don't know if I'm going to enjoy this project. Yeah. Now I have to step in and look at my own past. I don't want to do that. I don't want to know all this, but you know, so yeah, that energy came in and said, you're going to write this book. I didn't even, I had no idea what I was in for. Only scant, scant amount of details. But I started off with a, with a, um, I was prompted to give an eight week um, free course for my current students, healing the mother wound. And I had been on this journey. I'd already been on the journey. I'd already been looking into it. And what I'd been studying was a book um, by Peg Streep that's called Daughter Detox. So it's about healing from toxic patterns of love with your mother, that that primary relationship. Because that primary relationship is really the foundation upon which all of your other life's relationships, including the one with yourself, is built, is that relationship with your mother. It's pivotal. And the funny thing is, if you asked any Western mom today, if she knew how important she was, she would kind of brush it off. Like, no, I'm really not that important. Nobody really listens to me. Yeah. <laughs> Dad, but they don't really listen to me. They kind of, when I come up with my intuition or my, what I think, they kind of downplay it. You know, so we have to realize it's actually the reverse. We are so pivotal. And a woman that's not in her power and in her knowing as herself as powerful as a mother is actually dangerous. Wow. Yeah. And I agree with you, but that's a very powerful statement. (laughs) Think about that. I mean, a woman who feels powerless and feels like a victim and she's a mother is a huge impact on her children's consciousness. Now I don't sit in judgment of that because I was that person. So Mm -hmm. In the book, it really talks about, I have some channeled sections that are just direct channeling from white buffalo calf women about um, the importance of a mother about the last thousands of years and about what's happened to tear the fabric of our society apart is actually this dishonoring of the mother. And it's not just um, your mother or your grandmother or whatever, the human mothers, but it's the planetary mother. And it's the dishonoring of that 
wisdom that's inherent inside the mother that is what has caused and torn apart the fabric of our families and to the point where we have wars where we have broken families where divorce is an epidemic that's normal in western culture i've gotten a divorce you've gotten a divorce you know so this is all it's like normalized but if you look at other cultures that are more connected with mother earth Mm -hmm. like indigenous earth-based cultures they don't have these same issues. I actually, when I was visiting Peru, um, at one moment I had to have conversation with the shamans to explain. I said, listen, it's starting to feel, because there were just some dynamics going on. I said, it's starting to feel like you think that we're banks, you know, and so you're like wanting to get stuff from us. And we understand and we appreciate that Peru's been shut down all year. I said, but let me tell you where we're coming from. I said, so I want to ask you a question. I said, how do you feel about your family? And he lit up, like they both lit up. Like we love our families. Like they were just full of joy and love and and they, they, they could probably just go on for hours talking to you about how wonderful their families are. They're just the light that was shining. And I said that right there, that right there. I said, listen, the Caro people, they live high up in the Andes mountains, surrounded by rocks but inside of them, they have the love and support of their family and their community. I said, in the West, we're surrounded by beauty on the outside or the appearance of beauty, material wealth, all this opulence, but on the inside, we are filled with rocks. That's the essential difference. And he was like, oh, and I, so I was like, listen, you need to help us find the love inside of ourselves and put our families back together, put our hearts back together, put our communities back together. And then we won't need to go making so many wars out there because we won't be a war inside. And that's really the work of the mother wound because they never lost their connection to the divine mother. Do they have hard lessons in life? Absolutely. Nobody's get skipped you know we all have our curriculum but they approach it in a completely different way than we approach our problems they approach it from a soul's perspective from a earth consciousness perspective that teaches them that if this lesson is present for them right now it's the one that they actually need to be having that's what they're working through it's present in their life and that's what they're working through And that also teaches them, their lessons have taught them how to pull together in times of crisis, how to help each other in times of crisis. We were buying things from the, uh, there's a collective of women that are artisans and they create these beautiful tapestries, which I posted on my Facebook page. I was selling them for the women. They hand knit these out of alpaca and other wool. And they're just, they're gorgeous, these designs. They're more than just a design. They're actually an invocation of spiritual energy as well. So when you place them in your home, like you have this this light from Peru, this intention, this beautiful energy hanging in your house to help you too, to reconnect. And I was buying things from these women and, and I asked them, I said, so is this for your family or is this for your family? And they were like, no, 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 no. This is the collective. So whatever, because I was starting to feel guilty, like if I bought from this one, but then I didn't buy from this one, then I might not help their family. And that's how we think. But she said, no, if you buy from any one of us, we all share the, the wealth of that in the community. It's a collective. I was like, wow, that's a novel concept. <laughs> like, that really is. And I mean, it is something that we really have no background for because I've I think in my personal opinion that we've come from such a capitalist society where me, 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 and everyone climbs and steps on each other to get to the top sometimes that I know when I first started doing like this podcast and different things in the spirituality business, um, when other people would start coming on my podcast, you know, they would say, well, thank you so much. You know, it might be in direct competition with what you're doing because you offer coaching and I offer coaching. And then um, at first I thought, oh, well, that might be maybe, you know, and then I was having a conversation with someone else 
And she said, no, no, I don't ever believe that. She said, there is enough to go around in the universe. This is this concept that we feel like we have to take care of our own and we can't help out our fellow man. And that's not how it's supposed to be at all. And it's like, you're right. Like, so I've never given that a second thought after that point. But she pointed that out and I thought, oh my gosh, yeah, we really do all have that. Even though I feel like I'm a pretty like cooperative person and want to help others out, there was still a little bit of that ego left that said, oh, but if you promote somebody else, is it in direct competition with yourself? Because in business, and I was a business major, that's what they would tell you. And then I found that's not true at all. Yeah, I mean, well, I guess it depends on your intention because, you know, I've had that happen as well where um, I got inspired by someone's work, right? I read somebody's work and I got inspired by that. That led me to new insights within myself. And then they always, the question is, well, how do I honor that person? Because even though I I started there, I've grown it to this other place where I was, you know, I just took a leap from that and came up with all this. And so my answer to that is I honor the person, even if they are like, well, I don't want to be involved in your project because we're competitors. Yeah. Because I feel the same way as you where that's what's our, my goal, my end goal is the, <clears throat> is to assist in dismantling human suffering and create a world in which we can all thrive and all have our divine manifestation of our purpose and experience that because it feels great to be in your purpose and in your flow. Like there's just nothing better as far as I'm concerned. I would like everybody to feel that. And I would like everybody to have space to shine, you know, their gifts. So, you know, if I want that world, then I can't hold myself back with these small concerns. So I go ahead and put those people in my book. I'm like, oh, this section, this section is from this person. And isn't that amazing? You should go check out that book. I'm always Mm -hmm. referring people out to other things because if it would, if it served me, it would serve them, but I'm not going to repeat their work. They already did that work. I'm not going to repeat it. I'm going to build on it. Exactly. Yeah. So in a way, isn't that referring people to that person's work now to say, Hey, this is a starter place for this work. Go check that out. In the meantime, we're going to move on from there. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, that's the way I feel about it. That actually happened with this project. So I just thought, well, okay, well, everybody has their own understanding and they're they're in their own place. I know that I'm an evolutionist. I know that I can see you are because you're, you got butterfly everywhere. (laughs) You know, (laughs) anybody that loves butterfly that much is an evolutionist. (laughs) That's what we're here for. (laughs) So we're here to raise human consciousness. Yes. That's the goal. I mean, so stop, don't get lost in the details of like the, t- the tangible experience. It's temporary. It's finite. The bigger picture is we're here to evolve human consciousness and we'll do as much as we can in this lifetime. And then this vessel will go away. We'll have another one. So, you know, you, anything you stack up gets lost by the ocean. The ocean just takes it anyway. Just phew, your monopoly pieces, they, they get swept away. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, I think that's another critical thing that we're learning here in the West. Yeah. Because we've been taught like to stack up monopoly pieces and hoard them as some kind of protection (laughs) from from what? Divine? I've seen that with the pandemic, people like hoarding toilet paper and different things. And it's like- Funniest thing. I know. And when I see that, I just think, oh my gosh, this is not what this is about. (laughs) I really doubt that very many people actually went without toilet paper. Like, No, I don't know of anybody who did, but it just made it harder to find when everybody was trying to find it. I think it's the funniest thing about 2020 is like, what do we care about the most? Not our spiritual growth, not our toilet paper. <laughs> so we didn't wipe our asses. Yeah. You know, I mean, think about it. If you look back on 2020, you look about the things that you prioritize and we're so concerned about. If you have the bigger picture, can you just kind of scratch your head now and go, why was I so concerned with that? <laughs> why was that the main thing? Right. You know, it's like, how about your family? How about, you know, being concerned about that kind of thing. And really like, this is the moment of um, switch where 
in Western culture, we've been so focused on, and there's like some really great teachings about this out there. There's a lot of teachings I've been listening to that talk about this. I'm trying to think like where this particular one came from. Um, I can't remember right now, but there's like a whole chain. I think it's the, uh, the Celestine prophecy. I've been listening to the Celestine prophecy lately. It's a great book. And one of the things that, that you can wrap your mind around is that Europeans anyway, they um, made this break from the church because there was a religion and religion was like all you focused on. And then as your set of morals, as like your standard for conduct, and then somewhere in the early middle ages or something like that, they started re realizing that these, these religious people are actually doing a lot of the, the sins, committing a lot of the sins that they said not to do. Yeah. So people lost faith in that. And they said, well, I can't listen to those people anymore. They're, they're lying or you can't trust this. So that's when science began. And science was, was a movement away from what they saw as tainted religion, right? Like that you, you can't trust any of this. They started moving into science and science is all about personal proving of spiritual law, like proving it yourself. And so they started trying to prove, can I prove this? Can I prove that? And in the course of that whole ideology is what was birthed this drive for material security, material comfort, you know? And that's why we have this world we're living in right now because the singular focus of humanity or at least the Western mindset was to create safety, security and opulence in the physical environment. Well, we've done that. But now we are, we are, you know, we're still at the eternal question we haven't resolved, which is what are we doing here? Who are we really? And what is God, source, spirit, creator, universe? What, what is that? We still don't have the answer to those questions. So that's why this door is opening. Because we got really addicted to our small self-security and comfort. Mm -hmm. And now we've led ourselves almost to the brink of disaster on the planet from it. So now guess what? We have to open another door to figure out who are we really and who we are really is the door of the divine mother, which is, oh, we're connected to all that is. Oh, the invisible is not empty. It's filled with our ancestors. Oh, our ancestors have wisdom to share with us. Like, hey, don't pollute the water. Or you won't have any water to drink. Don't dig up all of the minerals and everything out of the earth. Otherwise, the earth goes out of balance. You know, I mean, like stuff that was obvious to our ancestors generations ago, but we've lost sight of. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, I just saw a picture the other day of um, an area where they were trying to harvest palm oil mm. and it was just completely destroyed. Devastated. Yeah. And it, I mean, just to look at the picture made me sick <laughs> because it was just destruction everywhere. And there are these poor animals still left in this area that have nothing now. So. And so we haven't been very good stewards of the earth. And mm -hmm. in order to become a good steward of the earth, in order to even contemplate these issues that you've been looking at, is to look outside of your sphere of control, right? Is to look out and try to see if you can't make a movement or do something bigger. You have to move outside of your personal concerns, your personal comfort, your personal safety. So you have to move outside of thinking about your family and your short-term goals for your family and thinking about yourself and your short-term goals of yourself. And in order to do all that, you have to be clear enough and not stuck in your own crap inside of you. So there's work to get through to the place where you can be an earth advocate. And that's the work of healing the mother wound. Because we have to go inside and come to terms with how were you raised? What were the beliefs you had? What's your relationship with your mother? How has that influenced your relationship with yourself and every other relationship? How do you think about yourself? How do you feel about yourself? What are your what are your drives and motivations? And where do they how do they stem from the way your brain was programmed by being in your mom's womb and by being raised by your mom? And that work is really powerful work. Now, I started with the Daughter Detox book because she does an excellent job of pointing out all the ways that moms screw up. It's an awesome book for that. Like, it's really good. 
if you want to get triggered, which I encourage everyone to get triggered, it's mm -hmm. a great book to like really reveal all the ways your mom really screwed you up because we, as moms, we know we screw up our kids. So you go in there, you look at it, you go, yep, I was neglected. Yep. I was, she didn't really listen to me when I needed to be listened to. Yep. I wasn't a priority or yep. She was in my face all the time. And yep. She made me really insecure and unconfident, you know, whatever. There's a whole list of things and we all have our pity story about that. I had mine and we can get immersed in that pity story, like for a really long time, like decades. Yes. <laughs> so at some point you have to decide, I desire to heal. And you have to see the way that all of those patterns ripple out in your life and in your family and in your community. Like there's tons of patterns, manipulation to get your needs met, competition, jealousy, conflict, and aversion of conflict. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of patterns spelled out in the book so that you can see what the thing is and how do I transcend that into a new place? Because ultimately in order for us to be living our divine purpose, like you're doing all these broadcasts and you're spending, you have this spaciousness to do this now in service because you've done your personal work and you continue to do it. So doing your personal work means going inside and looking at the clutter, like, okay, what's all the crap in here that I just keep ignoring and pushing aside and not dealing with and not loving and not accepting and not, you know, and like start loving and accepting and understanding it, start seeing it for what it is and making choices like, that thought pattern runs my life. Do I want that thought pattern to run my life? So mm. all of this has to do with healing your relationship with your mother. <laughs> Fascinating how important yeah. your mom is. Oh my gosh. I just did a podcast episode last week on a narcissist mother. And in that, it was talking about the importance of your attachment style. And while it's a very important thing, because that is how we get our needs met, and how we get taken care of, it is also one of the most dangerous things because when we don't have an attachment style that is healthy, which I think many of us don't, um, then that, that, that runs how every other relationship, as you said, in your life runs because you know you learn that love isn't unconditional. You learn that love is conditional, that if you don't meet your parents' expectations, that they can take their love away. You know, and they do that in different ways by like not speaking to you or, you know, giving yeah, you all the, the tricks, yes. all the tricks. Yeah. Intimidation, interrogation, aloofness, ignoring you, abandoning you like there, there's a lot of patterns, but you know, and it's a worthy inquiry. I, I guide people in this inquiry. I guide them to look at it because it, looking at it is super triggering and it's in the triggering of it, it's in the pain of it that you can understand it because it had a purpose. So I'll just give one little brief example. <clears throat> so in my early childhood, um, my mom uh, was working on her early childhood degree because in my zero to five, um, with the choices she made in husbands, um, there was a lot of chaos and tumultuousness and I was in a state of trauma based on those relationships. So when I was in um, early, uh, what do you call that, grade school, my mom decided she was going to learn everything she could. She wanted to major in early childhood education. Because why? Because she just realized all this stuff happened. Now she wants to be an expert in it. She wants to go find out how to help me and other kids, right? Yeah. So, she go so she goes into this community college and she's spending a lot of time working on that. Meanwhile, she's not at home because she's doing that. So I'm at home by myself. I'm a latchkey kid. Now I've repeated the same pattern. You know, like I, I have this passion. I was like, okay, I've got to learn energy medicine. I got to do all this and I want to become a healer. And I want to, and then in order to learn that, I got to go away for a week at a time on retreats. Right. And then I'm out here with my kids. Like uh, there was several times I missed my son's, my younger son's birthday because it happened to be that week. Right. It was always that freaking week. You know, and if I didn't take the class, then I'd be delayed a whole year. So it was like, so it's like, no matter what we do, even when our intention is that we're going to help, we're still working through the old patterns from our own ancestry. And then we're also working through our Dharma work and our desire to do the new thing at the same time that our kids are growing up. And so we're, we're shaping their brains and their expectations, right? As we're 
doing our own personal work. So it's unavoidable. Like you're going to do that. So therefore, for a while, I would blame my mom. Like, oh, you left me as a latchkey kid and I was abandoned and I didn't have any attention on me and I was I didn't have any adults and, and I had to do everything myself and even cook my, you know, prepare dinner for the family. And I had like all of these resentments and I was so upset. And, and so as a consequence of that, I was always home for my kids. I work from home. But I still had the same pattern because my kid says, mom, you're always on the computers. You're always working. So I didn't think I could interrupt you, even though I'm at home on purpose because I wouldn't be a latchkey kid for them, right? I didn't want them to, it doesn't matter. I just repeated it. So here's what I learned. And this is what I told my, my younger son. I said, listen, because he had the same thing. He's like, mom, you're always working. You're never paying attention. And I did everything myself. It was, just, it was like me talking. It, was, it could have been me. It was the same thing. I said, what'd you get from all that? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, look at yourself. Are you super motivated? Yeah. Do you get all your stuff done and your self-manage? Yeah. Are you getting A's and B's? Yeah. So you're a really motivated kid that does his own work. and doesn't have to be like nitpicked and watched over and micromanaged. He's like, yeah, I would hate you micromanaging me. I said, so in other words, you're really a self-starter and you found out that you can do this stuff all by yourself and that you're not waiting for somebody else to help you. He's like, yeah. I said, that's a really great skill to have in the world. Congratulations. You're welcome. <laughs> you know, because that's what I got from my mom. Yeah. Yeah. I had to do it myself. I say that too, because that, I mean, I sort of had the same thing in my childhood too, because my mom was a single mom and had to work and then decided to go back and get her teaching degree. And so kind of the same thing. And then I, I did the same thing too. Yeah. I had one job. I went back and got my teaching degree. And then a couple of years ago, I started doing all of this other work on top of being a teacher. And so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right into that same pattern. The same pattern, you know, so are we going to, he learned a lot from it, you know, but the, the point is you, if that's not really the issue, the issue is the underlying victim consciousness that every single human being has. We all have a victim consciousness where it's just passed through the mother wound, you know, cause we stew in it. So whatever our mother's experienced, we are stewing in her consciousness as our brains are being formed. So it just goes logic to say that our brains are formed with the consciousness the worries, concerns, beliefs, limitations of our mothers in our own brains. So then when we're born, we're just perpetuating the same cycle. Now it's meant to be a help, like it's meant to be a good thing. And, and it's how you get set up for your soul's curriculum because you choose a mother, you actually choose the mother you're gonna be born into for exactly for the state of her consciousness. You're like, oh, that's an interesting challenge. Okay, I'll be born into that state of consciousness and then I'll find my way out through all of my soul's curriculum. So it's not a problem that your mom was the way she was or that you as a mom were the way you were and then you pass this on. That's not the problem. There is no problem. It's a perfection. It's the soul's curriculum. You just set the person up for exactly their soul's curriculum. And then everything you've been doing is also setting them up for the resolution of their soul's curriculum, you're, you're demonstrating it like in the flesh, like you're showing them, look, I'm doing this, my spiritual work. I'm learning how to do this. I'm having these conversations. I'm elevating my consciousness. All of this is the path. And they're not going to take it right away because all of us have to roll around in the mud for a while before we'll actually heal. But, you know, eventually all those seeds you're planting right now, you've been planting through all this inquiry, it's all in there and it will blossom in its perfect timing. So there's not a problem, but we keep thinking there's a problem. And I thought there was a big problem with my mom. I was, you know, admittedly, if you watch back some of my other earlier interviews in my, in my sharing career, I, I was really angry with my mom. I was really resentful and really upset. So I understand if anybody's feeling that way, they're like, well, my mom was this and my mom did that and it really hurt and I can't forgive her and whatever it is. I understand. I was the same way. But I was also determined to heal. I was determined that somehow all of it would make sense. And I would no longer feel that aching pain in my heart. And even that I could feel tremendous love and joy from my mom without hurting myself to do it. That was my other goal too. Because I think a lot of us, 
if we've if we've been in a situation where you know the conditions were a little wonky you know we end up hurting ourselves in order to give our moms love mm-hmm. and my goal was not to do that my goal was to love myself first very solidly love myself and then love my kids and love my mom fully as whoever they are being right now in their current unconditional love it was actually the promise i made my dad on his deathbed oh i don't know why i made that promise but i told him dad i promise you you can it's okay if you need to leave he had one quarter one lung functional and he was struggling to like stay i said it's okay if you can't i promise you I will find a way within myself to love my mother unconditionally. I promise you. And boy, I had to keep that promise. (laughs) (laughs) To make those promises. Yeah. So I had to find a way. We have to find a way like through the pain and through the stories, our brain, our victim consciousness creates a lot of stories about why we can't love somebody unconditionally. Why it would be more painful if we did that that are lies, that's just born of that victim consciousness, we have to find a way to heal that so we can love everybody in our life full on, even if they're just currently acting kind of like a jerk. Yeah. You know? I, I think that's such a hard thing because we so often talk about, you know, I'll treat you the way that I want to be treated and you better, you know, our boundaries and setting our healthy boundaries And so a lot of people, when they are hurt or offended by someone, immediately think you have to cut off all ties. And I'm learning through my own daughter that, you know, they're going to do and say things that hurt you. And you have to be in a space where you you don't let your ego take over and you realize she's finding her way and she's got to stretch out. And sometimes that's going to hurt a little bit, but you've got to let them process that the way that they need to process it. But that's a hard, hard lesson. Well, I've learned that that is called being a, a mature mother. Actually, that's what a mature mother does. I was not a mature mother for a long time. I took it I was off. not either. <laughs> I'm still learning how to be a mature mother myself too, um, because I had all the conditions. You know, you do what you were taught. You do what you knew, because again, you don't come with an instruction manual. So you, you do the things and there are certain things you'll say, I'll never do because I didn't like it when my parents did that. But you just kind of do what you know and what you think works for you. And so for me, a lot of the time it was emotional parenting was not good. Yeah. Like I made best friends with my oldest child and I made him into my, my, my best friend, you know, supporter. And you know, what he had to say as he turned 21, it was, I put him through a spiritual program. I encouraged him to do it. And he said, yeah, so he did it. He didn't graduate though. That was an act of defiance, but he did uh, say, you know, mom, you made me into your like confidant and your helper. And I'm just like, I would, shouldn't have been doing that. But see, what I know about him from his human design, and it helps being psychic, and he doesn't like this, but I know he's he came here to be a healer. So he came here to be exactly what I trained him to be through my unconsciousness. He came here for that. And he did it from love. So he's also here for that. He hasn't accepted that about himself yet, but that's who he is. And so I can stay present, even if I'm wrong, I could even let go of all that and go, well, maybe I really don't know anything, but I know I love him. And so it doesn't really matter if he wants to be a car mechanic. Fine. If he wants to go into the air force, which he currently thinks he wants to do fine. I support you. I love you no matter what, it doesn't matter what you do. You're my son and you're going on a pathway of like self-discovery. And I support you in that. It's uncomfortable sometimes to watch it when you have somebody who's like really backing themselves into a corner and where people won't support you anymore, you know, and you're like the last person that supports this person. It's so hard to watch somebody do that, that you love. And like, I've just learned that I can't like prevent my kid from falling off his bicycle and skinning his knee. It's going to happen. If I try to be a helicopter parent and prevent the hurts, 
maybe your child goes to be homeless and they find the greatest lessons in that experience that catapult them into their dharma. We judge it though. We say it shouldn't be. Yeah. It's hard because we, I think, so often feel like as mothers, we have to protect them. And we have to, you know, we have to do everything we can to make sure they're on the right path. And then what I'm learning is like, you can't. <laughs> it's not your path. No. I had white buffalo calf women told me in one ceremony because I was really upset that when I went out for the graduation and then he wasn't there, I was like crushed. Because of course my whole community is there. And they're like, where's Garrett? And I'm like, I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. I'm like, just trying to be happy right now with this turn of events. And I did a, I did a, a medicine ceremony and in the middle of the ceremony, white buffalo calf woman came in. She says, you know, your lessons are not your son's lessons and your son's lessons are not your lessons. So stop trying to do my job. I was like, oh, that's the thing. We're the mother, but we're not the divine mother. And I think that is the distinction that we really need to start making is that and I don't know, and maybe that's a societal thing where everything in our society is really kind of, to me, a little wonky because they have to know what they're supposed to do at 18 and that's the cutoff age. And then they go and do, and my kids had no idea, like they didn't know graduating from high school, like what they really want to do. I mean, all you do is get started. Out. Yeah. You just get just, you know, and that's what my, my son can see through all that. Cause he's an older soul. And he's like, well, I don't want to just do something because I'm supposed to be doing something right now. I like, I'm not ready yet. I don't know what the thing is. I'm blocked. And like, but you can't also just hang out. I mean, what are you going to do? Just yeah. hang out in a corner for like four years until it starts. To, no, like you have to do something. Yeah. Yeah. That's the struggle. I think too, for them, it's like, they know they have to do something, but like, what is it? <laughs> Where do I start? Yeah. And it, it's because we put so much expectation and comparison on it. Like, oh, well, my child's going to Harvard. Oh, well, my child's going to this school. Oh, well, my child's going to be a doctor. Oh, well, my child, you know, and it's the yeah. moms that are competing with each other over their children for status or worth that causes so many problems. Mm -hmm. They're trying to just please us in many cases, or the father, to impress other people with what a good job you did as a mother. Yeah. So it was really humbling for me to go, well, you know, my kid went to six months of a technical college and dropped out. Um, you know, he stayed in my living room for a year and a half. He did, doesn't know what he wants. He's still figuring it out. And I don't have an answer. And he, I love him. He's like brilliant. He's a genius. He's beautiful. He's smart. He's a healer. He's empathic. He's gifted. And right now this is what it looks like. And it is what it is, you know? And I think that that is, it's a hard position. I caught so many times that my personality, my false personality, my false persona would be like my narcissistic side would be so triggered by that. Like, you're really screwing up, you know, like you must have really screwed him up for him to be so lost like this, or you must, you know, like you must have really messed up, you know, like and all these, like, and I, I kept having to like face that, feel it and see if that's true. And it's not, it's not true. He's, this is not an unloved child. And this is not a child that's not gifted. He's extremely gifted. So we have to look at these things. I think our kids are really just like I said before, like what a lesson my son gives me by being this way right now, because it helped me face all my narcissism. And my wanting to impress everybody with like how successful my kids are. So I'm such a great mom. Yeah. <laughs> I get that too. I totally understand that. And, and I think that's a really good lesson <laughs> for a lot of us. <laughs> I mean, our kids actually like, I've learned that my son's success in his life is completely up to him. It's his life, his success. So even if he's wildly successful, it's not me. 
that did that is him. Not me, him. Because he could have, our kids could have any parent, look at Oprah, the way Oprah started. And look what she built of her life from that experience. You could have another person have exactly that same experience and not build that. Right. So who's really responsible for the success in a person's life? The person. Right. And I think we need to be addressing that more often in society because I think we do. We, we attach our own worth to other people. So as parents, we're attaching our worth to what our kids do when really it doesn't have anything to do with that because you know, I saw my son going through grade school and through junior high. His grades were just really, you know, like all A's and you would think he would be on this track. And then once he got to high school, it was completely different. And he wasn't raised differently from junior high to high school. He just suddenly decided that the traditional education was boring and didn't really like he did just didn't want to do homework because it just wasn't his thing and that was a constant struggle for him was you know getting his work done and he would pass the tests and do well on the tests but it was just like I don't want to do I don't want to sit and do homework <laughs> because if he didn't see meaning in the work if it was just busy work he was smart enough to realize like this isn't really gonna benefit me to do this because I get it without having to do this. So it's like, oh, constant challenge. Well, challenge because you're trying to fit him into the mold of what everybody else is doing. Mm -hmm. When maybe some of these kids that are coming in are actually here to disrupt the system. As a matter of fact, I know that's true. They're here to disrupt the system and say, this system is stupid. You know, yeah. <laughs> the system doesn't work as good as you all think it does. Yeah. I see that a lot. I see that, especially in teaching and in education, I see that many times. And we're seeing it now because we've had our kids at home. A lot of people around the world have now had to homeschool their kids, either using the technology or actually homeschool their own kids. And now they get to see, right? Like, yeah. so that's also part of the mother wound is that, you know, we're these, it's patriarchal to create a one size fits all system and expect everybody to march through it. That's a very patriarchal way of thinking. And we need to bring in a little bit more. There's nothing wrong with structure. So I want to say like, I'm not about like cast out the patriarchy, cast out the masculine. I'm saying now we had like before this time period, we had an immersion in the feminine. We had an immersion over here. Then we had this immersion in the masculine and the patriarchal. And now we need to come to the center. We need to bring both gifts right here and see what makes sense in the moment for each of these systems. It, systems are good and, and helpful, but they also need to have attention to the nuances and the differences between kids because kids are not one size fits all. Kids are so <laughs> freaking yeah. diverse. Like there's yeah. not one like the other. Yeah, <laughs> so. absolutely. And it, that is, it's so true because a lot of things in our society have become one size fits all and it just, it doesn't work anymore. So that's So those are some of the things in the book. I, it's a very provocative inquiry. I think we, we touched a lot of highlights. Um, it's a, it's a good story and it's, you know, there's a lot of personal shares. Like I share about the story with my son not graduating and how I felt about that. And there's a lot of things in there that you'll resonate with on your own journey. Awesome. So where is your book available? The book is available um, right now. It's on pre-order on Amazon. And if you go to motherwoundbook.com, motherwoundbook.com, you can um, pre-order the book and type in your number, and then you'll get access to the first two chapters. And you'll also get access to the awesome Return of Mother Wisdom Summit, which is coming January 4th to 20th. I'm interviewing amazing women. Um, I'm interviewing Anita Sanchez, who's um, a director on the Pachamama Alliance. I'm interviewing um, Karen McGregor, who wrote The Tao of Influence. She's amazing, amazing speaker and woman. I mean, Shanta Perrin, who wrote, uh, who's uh, the Project for Give founder. She's a nominee for uh, Nobel Peace Prize. I mean, this like amazing women and to share their wisdom about 
this how do we step in and bring more more of mother wisdom now into the world to create that balance we were talking about because we're moving out of just all patriarchal into yeah. a new way that sounds amazing and i know um i know you will give me the link so i will include that yes. in the, the show notes too so in case you were driving or something while listening to this you can just go there later and, and click on the link so i want to thank you so much for being here with me what final words of wisdom can you give our listeners out there today? Let yourself off the hook, especially if you're a mom and you're going, oh my God, this book is going to show me 10,000 ways I did it wrong. <laughs> Breathe. <laughs> it's actually going to show you how you, you can't do it wrong. Like it's impossible to do it wrong. It's a complete setup by the divine mother, by spirit. So just relax into the lessons you're here to learn and relax into being love and compassion for your children and for your family and for yourself. That's all you got to do. It's all about love. I love that. And that is a great piece of wisdom. And I would totally agree with you. I think we beat ourselves up way too much. And if you care about the job you're doing, and if you're looking at this going, I did it all wrong, that shows that you're a caring mother and that your intentions were in the right place. And it's always, to me, I'm always learning. I can always do things better. And that's why, you know, reading a book like yours and doing the, the work is really what's going to help us to move forward and be better. Be better yeah, as because it, as you know, Melissa, it's not over. You can heal yourself now and it heals your children. It heals your lineage. It, the healing you do today, even if your children are grown, it heals them too. So there, there's never too late to do your personal healing and help your family. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This was such a great conversation. I always love talking to you. So thank you for being here with us today, Carrie. Thank you, Melissa, for having me. It's been great. <laughs> and thank you guys for being here with us today too, for this conversation. I hope that you guys will check out Carrie's book. And again, all of her information will be in the show notes. So you can go check that out. I want to thank you guys for being here with us. As always, if you like this podcast, please subscribe. Please leave a positive review from wherever you're listening. And don't forget to follow me on social media because I go live Mondays at 630 Central on Facebook where I do a free card reading. And if you show up for the live, I'll pull a card especially for you. I also post videos to Instagram and my YouTube channel has free guided meditations just for you. If you want to work with me, you can go to my website, melissaoatman.com. There you can see all of the services I offer. You can book directly from the website. And when we schedule, all of my sessions are done online through Zoom. So you don't even have to leave the comfort of your own home. Thank you so much. I hope you have a beautiful day from wherever you're listening. I am sending you so much love and light. And I will talk to you soon. Bye, guys.